0: Hi (laughs) We call this session the fun session
1: Never come to a women's conference ever again (laughs) With Lisa, but anywhere near it
0: (laughs) Sorry John Okay, take a seat (laughs) So yeah, you know We've found in previous years That after lunch You're all a little bit, you know Yeah full. Is that what it's called? I don't speak Afrikaans But I think that's the thing Okay so we've specifically done that dance off now So that you've you're, Is your blood all running? You're all good? Okay, great And, um, and, and John is going to be the fun session And the session that I'm most frightened of Because John um, Went against my control freak tendencies You know, um, when I'm doing interviews I generally know what's going to happen And I don't and John doesn't like to be scripted So even though I, I like forced him to meet Three or four times We still kind of got nowhere <laughs> We, ate a, we drank a lot of coffee and we went on tangents that would make any book club proud. We spoke about everything. And in fact, I've, I've written notes from our conversation so that we don't land up talking about like Jurassic Park or Titanic. Because it could go there, so there are a few things that I really want to get out of John, and that's why I'm going to be looking copiously through my notes. That I'm going, okay, I see where we're going. I want, I want him to say that thing. Okay, so we all buckled up and ready to go. And also, I'm aware that I might spend the rest of the day apologising for things that he says because you are one of those. Hey, you put your foot in your mouth. No, yes, you. Okay, please try not to. Okay, um, I want to also say, just you know, in preparing and praying about John, I was like, what do I know about John? Okay, honestly, John, you are delightful. It's been a real privilege. I know you're like, everyone's treating me. You didn't expect that. It has been so wonderful to meet with you and get to know you. But also I was like, what do I know about John? Well, he's bald. Okay. And so I just wanted to say, you know, Lisa's already teased him. That didn't go down well. But I found this scripture. It says, from there, it's not a good idea to tease bald men. Lisa, watch your back. Okay. From there, Elisha went up to Bethel. As he was walking along the road. Some boys came out of the town and jeered at him. Get out of your Baldi, they said. Get out of your baldy!" He turned around and looked at them and called down a curse in the name of the Lord. Then two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the boys. <laughs> um, um, this is from the Bible. You can find it. Okay? All right. And then he went on to Mount Carmel. And from there, he returned to Samaria. Okay. Bad idea to tease bald men. Yes. Okay. Where is Lisa? (laughs) Anyway, okay, already I've gone on a tangent. Um, So this is how it got to be that John is here today. It's a fascinating story. I'd been reading some comments on a kind of Facebook post, and I was really interested in something within the church world that um, I probably shouldn't have been, but anyway, I was. And then in one of the comments, I saw the name John Ellis. Now, I have a little book of names that I collect, of people that I I need to speak to that person. So I put his name in my book. And about three days later, I'm having tea at Mayfair for my dear friend Debbie's birthday party and everyone leaves, the party ends and my hubby and I come through from the north coast in one car and I I have to wait until he's ready running around and in walks John and I'm an opportunist <laughs> so I go, hey John how are you? Yeah, fine. Are you here alone? And he's like, yeah. I'm like can I join you? <laughs> I want to talk to you about a few things. This poor guy, just going for a peaceful Saturday morning. But you know, I saw it as a God appointment. Of course. I put his name in my book, and there he is. Like, And you know, it's difficult to pin people down. So God gave me a a perfect opportunity, and it's been so lovely to get to know you, John. And he really did, um, we had such a fascinating conversation. And I I actually got home, and I remember saying to my husband, Oh my gosh, that, that conversation made me feel so free that I'm actually scared. I'm like... And John and was a little bit rattled by that, you can imagine. But I just said, babe, I feel so freed by some of the things that John said, that I want you to mark this day. If I become any less loving, something's gone wrong. <laughs> that was the only way I knew how to measure it. But John, thank you. Um, and then, and then, So then I hounded him a few weeks later and said, hey, have you ever... Considered like sharing your story And he's like yeah cool let's meet again And I asked God to make John say a few words That would confirm that he should be at this conference Without having even told him this thing exists And he said those things So here he is Yes (laughs) So Can I say something
1: now?
0: Yes (laughs)
1: I have I've spoken at a few things over the years, and I've been in front of people for many years. And it's it's the first time I've ever had to queue for the loo. <laughs> so a new experience for me, and I'm very thanks for teaching me something new, ladies. <laughs> it's great to be here. I, I really appreciate you having me. Nat, apparently this is the first time you have had a male yes. guest speaker.
0: Yes. It's a big moment. It is This big could moment. be the beginning of this becoming wholehearted humans conference.
1: No, you need to keep it woman. <laughs>
0: okay.
1: I just am not sure of what you're saying to me about my own masculinity. If you... <laughs> we'll
0: get there, John. Oh, okay. We'll get there. Okay. So another thing that you might not know is I, I was fascinated to hear this. I didn't know it because I think I arrived at Olive Tree just after John. But about 20 years ago, John, you were at Olive Tree back then when it was like a Hebraic singing church. Hebrew, kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think we probably came just after you left. But was there anything significant that happened in that time at Olive
2: Tree?
1: Well, I was a a brand-new Christian. I I knew nothing about church. And a girl.
0: Can we stop? Next question. (laughs) And then
1: when I was seven... No, I I was invited along to this girl's church, and it turned out her her father was the worship leader, and it turned out to be the Olive Tree, where it was still at St John's. What was it, St John's Ambulance? And it it was a very odd-looking environment, and everything was at least half of it was in Hebrew, and including the music and the song lyrics. And um, for for some reason, I just felt really, really comfortable and really at home. So it was the first church church I really consciously chose to be in on purpose. (laughs) was oh. this church so wow. I, I, it's, it's a big it's a quite a big thing to be here again today even though it's a different set of you know different venue and different people but there's a similarity and in in a sense of what's the word thank yeah, you
0: yeah it's like a back to grassroots kind of moment in some way yes yes okay <laughs> um, so John this is a really scary thing to do because like there's this word being thrown around at the moment in the world called mansplaining do you all know what that is it's like we oh gosh, maybe we shouldn't waste our time then. Well, it's like when a man tries to give his opinion on something that a woman thinks she's the only one who has an opinion on. And then she says, you're mansplaining this, and it's not a compliment. <laughs> Are you going to be doing any mansplaining, John?
1: Are you kidding me? <laughs> no,
2: okay.
0: Um, so... Um, the other thing was that John didn't know this but I had been in grade one with his little brother Chris and Chris was like the absolute heartthrob every little girl was madly in love with Chris do you have any little heartthrobs do you have children tell us about your kids
1: I have three heartthrobs <laughs> um, a gorgeous 16 year old man who's in grade 10 and two younger girls who went in Cape Town with their mom and I'm a very proud dad and heartthrob, yeah, yeah, not really a word used anywhere near me, actually. Um, <laughs> but my brothers, yes, they seem to have gotten all of it. <laughs> so that's, that's my background. Yeah.
0: Okay. And can you tell me a little bit about your mum and dad? Because I know that our childhood years are so formative mm. in who we actually end up becoming.
1: I, I don't think I would really have had an interest in, in coming straight to Jesus without my mum. And it's a true thing. At the end of the day, this is one of many things I'm going to say on behalf of men. Men think they run everything, but women know they do. (laughs) Right? So, for instance, my dad would have said X and Y, but be a man, boy. But it's my mom who made me who I really am in terms of my my creativity and my ability to with music and my interest in music and reading and and then it's but most of all she exposed us I'm one of three boys to God really early on in our lives to the point where where things went a bit wrong for me in my early 20s God was the first person I would turn to because that's the instinct she put in me and developed in me without being religious, without, without necessarily going too far down any roads regarding church or certain churches, it was just God. God was an absolute reality. And that's the power of a mother, I think. It doesn't seem to come from men like the Bible apparently says it should, which is very interesting. I think men assume they have a certain role in, in kids' lives, but it's the, it's the mom, really, I think. And I'm very grateful to my beautiful mother so there you go and your dad that's another conversation um (laughs) I have a fairly well known dad he was a headmaster in Durban North for many years Uh, he and then he became a a member of parliament for the which started off as a PFP and became the DA and he retired after 20 odd years um In politics and a lovely guy. Um, Those of you who know my dad, Mike Ellis, you'll know he's a a charming man, you know. But as a dad, a lovely guy, and I love him to death. (laughs) But when I became a father, I thought to myself, "Let me be, let me try and attempt to be the dad that I may feel I may not have had as a young boy," you know. So, um, but I love him. I mean, how do you not love your father, right? But a very driven, very ambitious guy, um, lots of ego, as most men his age have, had, and still have. So most of my upbringing as a young boy was torn between the creativity and the softness of my mother and this ambition and an outrageous ego of my dad, (laughs) which is not a great combination. So that's that.
0: And so how did that mix play out in what happened in your
1: life? Um I think when you are giving full rein to your ego, no matter what you become good at, your ego drives you to succeed in that. Do you know what i 'm saying? Does it sound right yeah, yeah. and it 's not it 's not a masculine thing. We all have an ego, and we all are driven or feel a sense of being driven toward using it to, or driven towards what it 's asking from us and For me personally, it was okay i 'm good at this music thing i really i'm passionate about it which means i need to be the best in the world ever ever which obviously you can't be but the drive to be that person and it's the drive and the and the ambition and the ego that is the most dangerous book and it's interesting because god can use that drive in a positive way but ultimately it'll eat you alive if you let it have full reign in your life so it's a interesting mix of things to have to Carry, but it made me, yeah, on one hand, you want to be Elvis on the other hand when I met when I became a Christian, it was very interesting i, I wanted to drop everything and become a monk. <laughs> I already had the hairstyle, <laughs> <laughs> but it was the case of when I met God, it was the first time I felt released from the it's incredible how an ego or ambition and drive can be a stronghold in your life and rule you. you know what I mean? And again, it's not a masculine thing or necessarily a feminine thing. Uh, That sense of ego and drive and ambition can overwhelm you. And dropping that was the biggest relief for me. So it was weird then later on when music came up again for me, now suddenly writing songs about God, And there was success with it, because now I'm going, wait, I've just dropped this. Now I'm achieving the things I always wanted to, but I don't care anymore. That's quite odd, and we'll go there eventually. Anyway.
0: So, for those who don't know, of course, then, John was the front man of 363, and um, they just, like, kind of roared up to being very successful and got swept up to USA. And um, there were fascinating times there, good, bad, and ugly. Can you share some of that USA story with us?
1: Yeah. Um, has anyone lived overseas much for long, extended periods of time, five, ten years? Yeah. Did you get asked that question that I got asked when I came back? Why did you come back? <laughs> what were you thinking? Um. Yeah, living in a foreign country is another conversation, but uh, for me, the the thing that interests us in terms of this conference is how when God elevates you into a a new environment of people, and it becomes, it's a weird word to use, international, in terms of you suddenly find your platform being extended to other, other cities, other countries, and you find yourself traveling, as Susie knows all about traveling between things, um, you encountered a a more global sense of how people approach God, and the systems in place that that are about Jesus and church, and we get so used to our own, and to suddenly see how other people do it, and then go to America and and assume that the Americans, well, it's America, they do it the best, because as you know, Jesus is American. If you read the Bible with an American accent, it makes a lot of sense, right? (laughs) So I went as a very naive, quite young Christian. And by the way, I I would question God's judgment here. I think God made quite a few mistakes. (laughs) Why give a fairly new Christian a microphone? Right? Right? I don't think that was very wise, but we're trying to figure it out, so I'll get back to you in a few years. (laughs) But seeing how America approached Jesus and church, and seeing how how church was different in different parts of the country, and then watching to see how a multi-billion dollar industry was built up around faith, our faith, this precious thing that we give, give our lives for and would be lost without, and suddenly found it being very... Very, very, very carefully, cleverly monetized and turned into a profit-driven exercise. I think it was one of the most heartbreaking things I've ever really seen in my life, and I don't think I've really recovered from it yet, because I was so naive going into it and assumed that everyone who said they love Jesus, loved Jesus. Thankfully for me, one of my first experiences in music was meeting Matt Redman. Are you familiar with Matt Redman? His music and his songs... The most humble, beautiful, sweet, retiring soul you could imagine, because he's been through his own stuff, and, and God has really, really have, has His hand on that man. And thankfully, Matt was a mentor to me. So when I finally met the Americans, I had another uh, role model. But I came back from America after a few years with quite, quite, uh, quite, quite broken in terms of not wanting to. to Go in near, near a church again. <laughs> and I'm happy to, to confess that and say it to as many people as you want to listen. Because we've all experienced that sense of, I thought God was this, this is what I see happening, I'm not sure I want any part of this anymore. Because there's something about God I wanted more than this. This can't be it. And it's hard when, you, when, you feel, when you're being sold it by people you, you trusted. Do you know what I'm saying? So, uh, again, I also question Nat's judgment having me here today because I'm not sure I even that I really have fixed it yet. But I'm on the journey, I feel like I'm on the the journey towards some sense of closure with her, and I'm excited about it. But for a while, after coming back from America, I was very, very disenchanted. And I'm I'm sure there are people here today who live with that sense of disenchantment, disappointment, Just feeling, uh, I thought it was going to be more than this. Do you know that feeling? And I am not somebody who knows what answers to give. I'm just somebody who's lived through it. And the good news is, there is something on the other side. But that's your journey to figure out between you and God. For me, I'm just glad to be here today. Because I could very easily not be.
0: So, John, um, you know, when I mentioned to a few people that you were coming to speak, um, it was surprising to hear people say, like, but John's not a believer, he's lost his faith, or he lost his faith, and is he a believer again, you know, um, and we're like, no, he never lost his faith, and they would say, kind of almost as if they knew more than you, that no, he did, I was like, no, no, no. I've met with the man, he didn't, he lost his faith in church, not in God, Um, uh, you know, how do you feel about that? Um. <laughs> no, should we move that? Move on?
1: Wait. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm trying not to be a... I'm always trying not to be a judgmental person. But my experience of Christ and Christians <laughs> are unfortunately often two different things. And I'll say this with all love and compassion, but God help you. If you, if you cross a Christian sometimes. I'm obviously being ex- horribly uh, overgeneralizing, but I've experienced some of the worst judgment and just the worst hate mail, um, revolting things written to me by people who, who profess faith in Christ. And I remember in Nashville, I met a South African lawyer who'd been living in Nashville for many years, and he wrote country music lyrics, and he was just a South African doing his thing. I said to him, oh, you know, I'm from South Africa, and we're involved in the Christian music thing. And he went, oops, I don't know why. He says, the only time he ever, ever, ever got taken out in business was when he worked with Christians. And I thought, what an awful legacy that Christians are so distrusted in the world because of an uncomfortable encounter once with someone the wrong it's horrible because on one hand we hear Susie talking so beautifully about this beautiful Holy Spirit and then you think well if someone's transformed by the Holy Spirit they'll become and the point point is to be transformed into the likeness of Christ and instead we become somebody that people don't trust and back away from that's really not great Uh, so When I went through some uh, difficult things, uh, there was not a lot of grace out there as much as I may have thought for me to journey through. People don't want you to go on a journey. They want you to stay where where you are. And if you are somebody who has a public platform, uh, again, God help you. Because that's not a natural place for a human being to be. Fame and fortune are not godly things at all. I wish I'd known that when I started. They are unnatural things. And so when you're up there and you and you and you trip or misstep or wear the wrong speedo in a photograph, you know. <laughs> <laughs> the general sense from people is he shouldn't have done that. He should have known better. Especially with a speedo. He should have known better. We expected more from that person. Half of us when we see people who are who have fallen uh, from a public place and fallen into some sense of embarrassment. We, half of us are delighted. Let's be honest, we're human. And the other half of us says, oh no, that's terrible. We feel let down again. We feel, oh, there's another one. Another disappointment. Another reason not to trust. It breaks our trust. And I have to live with the fact that part of my journey and what I experienced and how I reacted led to the breaking of trust in some people's lives and it's not, that's not a great thing for me to have to rem- live through either um, I'm, and again I'm still dealing with that I don't know where that leaves me or the people who felt let down but the problem is when you do become some sort of I hate to use this word but famous Christian uh, there's an unnatural pressure on you to behave like a super Christian and there's no such thing at all except for moms moms are pretty close <laughs> right yeah. but and I'm not just saying that because I'm in a room full of moms <laughs> um, but yes being on the receiving end of ungenerous unkindness in the name of Jesus is not a pleasant thing and for those of you who've experienced something similar i uh, I feel your pain.
0: And John, I think that's exactly why God wanted you here because we're talking today about integrity and what, what does integrity mean as a Christian? And what is the thing that we should be known for? Like what's the thing that people, we would want them to say, Christian and integrity is a synonymous thing. It, it means the same thing to people. And it's it's really love. <laughs> you know, and I think so often it's like, Christians can. First of all, you get two types of Christians: these hospital-form Christians and then believers. And hospital-form Christians, I, I think, are like cultural Christians, and um, as in, like, well, they have to fill out the hospital form. And I'm not Muslim, Hindu, or this. I'm Christian. You know, it's a cultural expression of, of who you are. And I mean, that, that's who I was for, you know, most of my life. And then, and then there's that moment where you become a believer. And um, but what do you believe in? And how do you show that to the world? I think when John was saying, you know, that so often business people who were Christians would let him down. Like I immediately thought they were probably saying, let's do business because I'm a Christian. It'll all be good. And to have to profess your faith without people seeing it. Sometimes we also have to be careful of that. You know, if if you feel like you have to push that or or somebody saying it up front for no reason, it's like, I come with this credibility because of that. But that they actually, you have to see it in actually how they love. Um, Paul said, um, the only thing that matters is faith working itself out in love. And um, yeah, I, I just think, it's, I'm so sorry for you that you had so much of that. And um, I really trust and pray that each and every one of us would hear this and also just go, we'll never be that person. We're not here to change people's minds or make them believe what I believe. We're here to love. And when they encounter our, God's love for me, that will win them over. Not us telling them what to do or how to do it all. Yeah. Um, Okay. I want to ask you how you have seen integrity growing and developing in your life. What are the things that have kind of forced that hand?
1: We should have prepared this answer, huh? (laughs) I always laugh. I tried. I tried. In my most cynical moments, after um, some time in the Christian music industry, I couldn't help but thinking how ironic it was that one of the Christian music, the big record labels, was called Integrity Music. It felt like the, you got exactly the opposite doing doing music and doing and doing business with Christians. And so, this is not an opportunity for me to to say these things to air my grievances, but it was just. Again, heartbreaking to see how little integrity is really out there, especially from people who proclaim they do have it. It's almost like if you proclaim you have it, you haven't got it. It's those who say nothing about it that are the ones who have a deeper sense of integrity. I I think integrity is a process. I don't think it's a thing you get. I think it's a thing that grows in you as you grow in Christ, so if anyone meets you at a point in your life, you'll have you know, at, that much integrity at that moment in your life. If someone was to look back at you 10 years later and say, you were really not a person of much integrity then, that's not really fair because you were, just, just not as much as you have later. And you know, integrity is a, a thing because it's a standard we hold people up to. That person has no integrity. We live in the least most integrous times any of us have lived through. And that's talking about a full of people who've lived through apartheid. In 2019, it seems way worse, don't you think? I mean, for goodness sake, to have someone like Trump, oh... No,
0: no, no, we can't say these things, John. Stop, moving on.
1: <laughs> what I'm saying is, the world right now seems to be built on this. Well, going through a battle with integrity. So it's a word that you've chosen really wisely because it seems like it's something that's up for grabs mm-hmm. and, there's no, and no one has a handle on it anymore. Does it feel like, right? I'm just, I'm just speaking. I don't, I don't know these things. Yeah. I'm just guessing here, like, anyway, like all of us. But for me, it seems like we need to have a confidence about integrity because we don't know what it is anymore. It's not modeled to us anymore. By the people we used to trust for integrity. It is obviously in terms of our church leaders, and we, we look, look for it in the places we know who will find it, hopefully with our parents and church leaders and those things. But generally, we live in a world of fake news. Um, can I say Trump again?
0: No.
1: B- Boris Johnson? No. Brexit? Nigel you can talk a... about
0: people in the 1800s, John, that's all. Oh,
1: okay. <laughs> well, it seems to be worse now than it was then.
0: <laughs> Indeed, but we won't put names to
1: it. Because in this world of technology and, and apps, you can fake it now. <laughs> Have you noticed that? Mm. You can fake it now. You can fake integrity. Quite well, actually. There's probably going to be an app for it soon. <laughs> <laughs> iintegrity.com. <laughs> how do we... How do we um, how do we know the difference? How, how will we learn to be discerning enough to know the difference between uh, people who really carry it and those who profess to carry it? It's a challenge. And again, I don't have any answers, but I, but I know I've come, I've come up against those people. And it's really made me, it's really broken my heart again because I want to see it and I don't. And then I want to trust and, I, and then I make the mistake mistake of trusting and you get hurt by somebody who professed to have it and didn't. And I may have been one of those people, myself. And that's not great for me either, you know. Because um, again, I, if you're up on stage w- with a guitar and uh, you're, talking, you're singing and talking about Jesus and there's a, it's a powerful moment, the assumption is that person has integrity. God would not have used that person if he didn't. Right? Yeah. But... God uses lots of weird people. <laughs> and the Bible's full of it, right?
0: <laughs> donkeys? Yeah, yeah, donkeys.
1: Yeah. I mean if you the first half of David's life was a mess. We don't think we don't see that. We just think of the Psalms. David wrote beautiful Psalms, but the first part of his life it was such a mess. At one point people assumed he had actually literally lost his mind. He was living in a cave. Uh, Joseph spent many years in the bottom of a hole before he became who he, the Bible says he became. There's a journey and a process and I'm talking too much.
0: No, not at all. In terms of an integrity journey, you said um, that failure played a huge mm. part in your, your journey of integrity. You want to talk anything more about that?
1: How many people here have failed?
0: <laughs> sure. I think that was everyone. <laughs>
1: Those of you who haven't yet, good luck. <laughs> God bless you. <laughs> I don't know how any, obviously, I don't know how you were raised, but for me personally, there was a sense of if you, if you are, don't fail. Life is an a upward momentum and don't crash. It seems like society sort of winds you up and lets you go and says, good luck, don't crash and you're like oh! and when you do crash there's no sympathy because we don't live in a society full of people who, are, who have a lot of patience for failure and one of the most beautiful, beautiful things I feel like I've discovered about Jesus in the last 10 years I'm going, to be, I'm going to say this and you, you're going to mishear me and you're going to write emails to Natalie next week I know it's going to happen here comes a foot in the mouth are you ready? John. <laughs> I would have said it anyway. God is the God of failure. Dear Natalie, can't believe. Another word for failure is death. And the one thing that makes Christianity so miserably unpopular with people is the knowledge that you have to die and nobody wants to die right nobody wants to fail no one seeks failure no one seeks crucifixion and yet the whole gospel is yes there's resurrection but there's crucifixion first we we don't want this part we want to we sometimes we want to head straight to resurrection because that's the glory and i'm i, I speak as a As a fellow seeker, somebody just like you who wanted the most out of God possible. I have been preached to and I've been mistaught, like I'm sure many of you have. So there's no one to blame, it just happens. I've been mistaught and and preached to that as soon as you meet Jesus, it's straight to victory. No one tells you that the road to resurrection is through the valley of the shadow. That's a very unpopular message. Because it would scare away people. But ours is the faith of the resurrected one, not the crucified one. But crucifixion is part of the story. Does it make sense to you? Are you going to start writing emails?
0: No, no. I'm changing my address anyway this week. (laughs) Anything from my normal address will bounce.
1: I don't want to, I have no business and no right to preach at all. I just know, so this is why I'm saying it. In my personal life, I have found the most freedom and the most personal success, the, the, the surest path to God through coming out the other side of failure and death. There was a point when my music career was over, my marriage ended, the house got sold, uh, my two gu- guitars were stolen and the car all in the same hour. You know, <laughs> like. And part of you is, is oh my god i've lost everything but for me the journey has been out of that place of loss into a place of resurrection on the other side and it's and resurrection is no 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 wait 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 resurrection is not a permanent state either i'm coming I'm, i feel like i'm coming out of something and it and that that's a journey on its own but the but the good news for me is i would not be the person I am today if it wasn't for the failure in the first place i really wouldn't there were things I believed about God that I would have, have carried on believing blithely but I, that I had to let go of and jettison in order to die. And when you're in that space of failure, it's total failure. You, you drop and lose everything, including the, the idea of who you think you are. Does that make sense? I don't know if I'm making sense. You totally, yeah. You but, are, uh, a- <laughs> But losing myself has been the biggest liberation of my life. Losing the sense of who I thought I should be, who I thought I was, who I was raised to be, who, who I was told I was by the powers that be. Losing all that and being literally naked except for the speedo <laughs>
2: oh before the Lord
1: <laughs> <laughs> has has liberated me into a place where I've learned things about what it means to be a, a, a faith-filled person that I... I've never known before. So I find myself closer to God now than I ever have. And yet, if I look back at my last 20 years, I lost everything. So in my mind, part of me still thinks, you're a very lucky failure. (laughs) I do not think of myself as the guy who, I see photographs of myself on stage in front of all these Americans, and it's hard to really think that's me. Because I feel like the guy who lost that. And I don't know if anyone else feels the same sense of, I used to be this. I aspired to this. I worked hard for this. I got qualified for this. And somehow or other, lost it all. I have failed. Is that feeling? I've disappointed people who love me. I've, I, people expected things from me and I've let them down. I've failed. My marriage in my parenting in my job and my faith the promises I made to friends and to Jesus, I failed. It's a glorious place to be. And that's, that's what I love. I'm getting goosebumps. That's what I love about this topsy-turvy God. The, this upside-down God. This God where success, where failure is success. And success is so often a failure. But that's for another conference.
0: Next year, success slash failure. No, Point. not um, John, when we chatted about like what you see as Christians of integrity, you spoke about Christians who express a barrierless, boundary-free type of love. Um, and you, you, you said your favourite story was Good Samaritan. Do you oh, want no. to just 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 to illustrate that? Yes. Share a little bit on that.
1: Um. I think we all hope to be the the good guy, but actually we all, we're the person lying in the ditch. Would you agree? <laughs> Always. <laughs> but there's something lovely about being the Samaritan because it's, there's a sense of holiness. I'm such a lovely person, you know. And I, I'm, I'm glad to say that God has used me often to be the bringer of some life. But most of the time I'm the guy in the ditch. <laughs> and... um. But the thing I love about the Good Samaritan is the, the modern application of that story is the Good Samaritan wasn't a Christian. Oh. Somebody who didn't profess faith in Jesus was still a nice person. The scandal of it. Did not you love that? I mean, Christianity is a scandal. The message of Christ is a scandalous thing. How dare Jesus arrive in Bethlehem on a donkey? Let's kill him. He's not the God we expected him to be, right? He's not the God we think he should be. If you only listen to us, (laughs) which is what I experienced in America. America was full of people who knew way better than Jesus, which is why Jesus today is American. but I, I love how God uses the unexpected. And I feel, I feel like Mr. Unexpected. I was never, I always had great you know, illusions of grandeur, but I lost my hair very quickly after school. <laughs> <laughs> and I never had, well, until a few days ago, a good build. But for um, <laughs> so those of you aren't wondering, this is all natural and in other words whatever I imagined myself to be I I never quite measured up and then I found there's life on the outside as well as there is on the inside we all aspire to the inside because it's the most attractive that's where the lights are on and the fire's going and the feast is on inside but Jesus is also on the outside looking for the lost sheep and that's the Jesus I fell in love with do you know what I mean? Because none of us feel worthy enough for the inside. So we go wandering and we find them out there too. I love the Jesus that, that forgoes hanging out with the, the top religious officials of the time and goes and hangs out with prostitutes and drinks wine. That's the Jesus I love. The scandalous man. <laughs> why do we write emails about dear god how <laughs> dare jesus that,
0: nervous, It goes up.
1: but <laughs> right, the foot is almost in the mouth
0: <laughs> right but, whenever i uh, meet with the ladies before the ladies before it's this is the first time it's not a lady i ask them a question because i feel like it unlocks the essence of what it is that i want them to share and when i asked john what makes you cry i was a little bit worried because you know they say boys don't cry but you must be a girl because you immediately answered what makes you cry. Do you remember? Yes.
1: I haven't cried a tear in my life. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Said "What? what is the thing that um, when, when you experience it, it, it just causes the tears to come? Yes.
1: Yes. Uh, kindness for me is the, the, what's the, the modern word is the trigger, right? Mm. My trigger is kindness. Because we live in a very unkind world. <laughs> and it. I think I can count on two hands how many times I've I've experienced genuine kindness. And I think if you're honest with yourself, you can probably have the same in many things. Kindness is not in in great supply, but it's in great demand. (laughs) Um, But like a genuine kindness, reach down and pick up something broken. It takes empathy and kindness. And the cliche is, well, men are not men are generally not empathic creatures it seems like women are born with all the empathy and kindness and men are born with other things <laughs> but uh, human beings generally are capable of kindness regardless of their gender right i just men need to be taught more cuz men are taught to mask the kindness Empathy means weakness. I really feel strongly about saying this in relation to this. We live in a world where there's a lot of anger toward men. Right right now, you, it could not be the worst time in human history to be a male. And, by the way, a white male living in Africa. <laughs> it could not be a more dangerous place, to, time in human history to be a male. Hashtag me too, hashtag... Oh my God, have it, right? I just, on behalf of men, (laughs) I don't think we realize how poorly men are prepared for life. How poorly men are prepared for God in their childhood. How poorly they are raised by their own fathers. What What a massive gap men leave in their own sons' lives by poor parenting that they receive from their fathers and their fathers. I look at my own father, and I, he's a, such a lovely man, but he was so miserably fathered by his own father. And he bears the scars of those things now. And he's a shocking husband. <laughs> and I was a pretty bad one too. And my brothers, I, don't, I hear stories from other women about what men are doing right now, divorced men, and how they're treating their own children how much they refuse to pay maintenance and they refuse to look after their children. I think, what is going on out there with men? And then I remember I I am one. And I'm sometimes embarrassed to be, the same way I might be embarrassed to be a Christian sometimes when I see how poorly Christians behave. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, But kindness, kindness is a rare thing. And men need to be taught it. And I hate to say this, but you are the teachers, not because you're better, but because you're because there's a there's a feminine the femininity about kindness that men resist because they think there's something weak about it. But the Good Samaritan shows kindness is the strongest thing. Women need to teach men everything, literally everything, but especially kindness. To themselves, to each other To their own selves In terms of forgiving their own pasts Forgiving their fathers Men have lots of good things But men are lacking a lot of things And I I feel strongly that To be able to say in front of In a room full of women You are the teachers If you can find it in yourself To have patience enough to go Sit down darling Let me tell you something (laughs) There's value there you know. Does that make sense?
0: Um, John, I think the, it's, it's so wonderful to know that you've been on this whole journey out of church, and you, but through that you never lost your faith in God and you found yourself back in church now. And actually, your, your pastor was going to be here today. She couldn't make it. But what is it that drew you back in? Money. <laughs> Can you stop the recording five seconds ago? <laughs>
1: <laughs> you didn't get the email. From... Dear Nat, this is how much I charge. <laughs>
0: No, 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 I didn't mean this church. (laughs) (laughs) Not that that happened. He said he gets paid in chocolate. Um, John, going back to the church that you go to now. Yes. Yes.
1: Are are there any Presbyterians here? (gasps) Hmm? Hi, Presby's. Is that Michelle? No, it's not Michelle. Um, Michelle Black is the reverend at the Presbyterian Church in Durban North. It used to be called Cogs. Remember Cogs? And they moved to another building. And Michelle asked me to help them with their music a few years ago. And I just do. I help them now. But um, So I wouldn't really call Michelle my pastor. Okay. Um, and I don't really feel like it's my home church. Okay. But I love the fact that they have nothing. They have no, none of this. And I'm drawn to that, I think. Drawn to the... It's almost like the the church version of the Samaritan. This sounds a bit condescending, but uh, there's something humble about it. And in a world where churches have become uh, so overblown and so... I mean, the, the things I saw in America, if you walked into those places, you'd think you'd walked into a, an airplane hangar full of... in another country. Sometimes we can we can church ourselves into a place where we're no longer in a in a comfortable environment. And so I like it when it's humble. And I've always loved that's what I loved about Olive Tree the first time I went in there. There's something just different and something lovely and pure. So that's where I am and I'm glad to be there.
0: Awesome, John. So um, I think what I loved about today and how God worked it out and Cindy, I mean oh my gosh, Susie, I forgot to ask Susie to sing, because what I realized is that God had put together, was uh, that our people sharing today, um, Audrey and John and Susie, uh, Susie wasn't supposed to sing, that's just a joke, Susie, but if you look at me like that, you make me think I should get you up here with a mic, but you know, um, to... (laughs) To sing your song is to like sing your truth, and I just thought how fantastic that God got together people who could sing their story, and sing their reality, and sing their truth. And John, not only do you have you written and, and sung music, but you also write poetry, and that's an incredible window into a person's inner world. Is to to see and hear their poetry? Are you prepared to say a poem for us?
1: Roses are red. <laughs>
0: We never knew you did that one. That was amazing.
1: It's, one of my, it's, it's famous. It's one of my early ones. Famous. <laughs> no, I, I, I've never done that before in front of people, and I, I, I don't even remember what I write anyway. It's better for me okay. to sing you a song, I think. Okay. So John is going <laughs> to sing
0: us a song or two. John, thank you for being so vulnerable and um, and just for giving us insight. I think it's a lot of things. Um, and certainly to be challenged around um, being... People of integrity in our faith, and um, and really being carriers of love, and and letting love be the thing that shows us um, to the world that we that we are followers of Christ. Thanks, John. Give him a big hand while he gets all his stuff together.
1: Yeah, hi, hi guys. Hi. About six months after I met the olive tree, uh, this song came out, and it's a song Susie would have probably have heard at the time you saw us perform early on. Um, And I think over the years I've questioned whether or not I can still sing these lyrics and mean them because you write them as a young person and a young believer and then you mature and you sometimes grow out of the songs you've written especially if you're Mick Jagger (laughs) but I I still sing this one regularly and I sang it the other day and I realized I I can still I still mean this so uh, let's see Sorry Susie, (laughs) it was actually, one more, Um, so this is a song that uh, I I think every band has their one hit, they pretend they have five, but there's only one, and this was the one that apparently was ours, (laughs) and um, let's see. be careful here, you can't get too groovy in church. Yeah?
0: John, thank you so, so much for saying yes to be surrounded by all these beautiful women there, aren't they? Hey, it's, a, it's, not, a, it's not a very difficult yes to say to your, yes to you. Nope. No. Okay. So you'll be back tomorrow. Yes. Will I have you back tomorrow? I'm Please. still thinking about it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs>